0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Lombardo, and it is always my pleasure to be with you guys here today on the podcast. For those who are new to the podcast, we have a new show every Monday and Thursday. Uh, You can find us in the Charisma Podcast Network, which is charismapodcastnetwork.com. You you can also go to um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. uh, to. I've got incredible guests from around the world that are just doing amazing things in the name of the Lord, seeing miracles take place, and they have a testimony of the Lord Jesus, as well as we have teaching shows, different messages and scriptures that have impacted my life, encounters that I've had that I get to share here on the podcast. My wife comes on with me close friends come on with me, leaders from around the world, and so it's always a lot of fun, and my desire is that your heart would be awakened to the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would know who you are in Him, the tools that you have, so that you can truly be a conduit of the Lord in this earth um, in a powerful way, and so I always like to open up with the Scripture, and I want to dive into 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 today. This is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. I love this scripture so much. For he has called us and he has saved us. He has saved us and he has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. <laughs> there is a lot there. Okay. This is, uh, this is a very deep scripture. There is a lot there, but the Lord has not only saved us, but he has called us to a holy life. And it's his grace that saves us, but his grace that also empowers us into his purposes and into a holy life unto Him. And this grace was given to us before even the foundation of the world and Jesus Christ, our Savior, has appeared to destroy death and to bring us life. And so we're going to have a powerful show today. We're going to break down the gospel of grace, and we're going to go into intimate detail about that. And um, it's just going to be um, really enlightening, and there's going to be tons of revelation shared here from my guest. My guest today, his name is Bill Vanderbush, and he's been a pastor for over 25 years. He grew up on the mission field, traveling all over the world, seeing thousands impacted by the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Him and his wife, Tracy, they currently travel. They speak in conferences and churches around the world. And his consuming passion is, into, is to introduce people to the resurrection power of Jesus. Amen. Jesus died, but he is risen and we have resurrection life. Jesus saves, heals, and sets us free. And this is, this is what Bill's ministry is all about. He enjoys empowering others to Invade the Impossible. They live in Orlando, Florida, and you have these many resources online um, for for pretty much anyone to tap into, purchase, and download. And so, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks so much, Michael. It's
0: an honor to be here. So awesome, so awesome. And so you wrote a book, and we're going to dive into the message of that book called Reckless Grace. But before we get into it, how did you first encounter the Lord and kind of start this journey with God?
1: You know, I grew up in a missionary's home, missionary evangelist home, and my dad was uh, uh, on the road constantly just preaching and teaching. Back in the day when, you know, uh, it was three-week revivals were the norm, and I was born into that. So I don't ever remember a time where I wasn't uh, exposed to the things of God. And uh, my parents were uh, on the older scale when, when I was born, so they only had one child. And and so I just I traveled with them and I was in church every single night, yeah. And uh, and so I learned a lot of things vicariously. Like uh, for example, my dad would play scripture. Uh, if you remember, oh man, years ago there was there was a series of cassette tapes by a guy named uh, Alexander Skirby, mm. and a great great English accent, you know, uh, super anointed, you know, if you got that English accent, right. Sure, yeah, and so, really. uh, dad had these cassettes and he would just play the scriptures constantly. So I learned the Bible phonetically growing up. And then of course, when you begin to learn what words, words are that my parents would say, you know, that I would end up quoting, you know, entire chapters and whatnot. So it, it, it was, I never set out to like memorize the scriptures. It just sort of happened because of the environment that I grew up in. So I would blame most of my education on my parents and just exposing me to the narrative of scripture from an yeah. early age. Mm-hmm. But I remember my first encounter really with the Lord that I can can actually remember is at the age of five. And I'm in a church in Houston, Texas. And I just remember them talking about the Holy Spirit in a children's service and and said to invite the Holy Spirit to come into your life. And I, I remember this distinctly. I'm you know five years old and um and I remember my hands just being, just going up in the air and I'm, uh, start, uh, you know, uh, speaking in a language I didn't, I didn't understand, uh, at the time, which then the, the children's leader comes over and says, you know, oh, you got the gift of tongues. Well, I don't know and have any idea what in the world's going on, but I'm just a kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. So one of the best ways to receive as a child is to actually be a child, right? So, <laughs> so, uh, that was about the same time my parents really, came into an awareness of the fullness of the Holy Spirit's presence. And so as a family, we kind of grew into this together. Uh, they were, my dad was Wesleyan Methodist, so straight evangelical, cessationist, didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Wow. And then about the same time it happened for them, it happened for me, but, but in a different place. That was really an interesting thing for me because I realized in that moment that I could actually receive from God myself. It didn't necessarily always have to come through my mom and dad. That was the point exactly. <laughs> it's weird, like a five year old consciousness, but that was the point at which I suddenly had an aware that that my relationship with God was was mine. It was personal. My dad had his, mom had hers, I had mine, we had and, and so that's that's what I kinda grew up in. And um and and yeah, so people say, you know, do you ever remember a time where you didn't know God? Um you know, I would say I would say I I I kept I, I held on to, for most of my teen years, even in through Bible college and as a youth minister and even as a senior pastor, I held on to a perspective of distance and separation, defining my identity apart from, from Christ. In other words, letting him guide my life, letting him lead my life, letting his word you know, dictate how I did life, but not necessarily having uh I, I would have said god is holy and i am not that would have been my thing you know and, sure, and sort yeah. of from a place of Paul's humility just grabbing a hold of this this idea that um that i'm defined uh apart from christ rather than letting in christ be my defining point about 10 years ago all of that changed and out of that was actually born this message
0: Wow, that's incredible! And I just want to highlight really quick that um, I feel it's really beautiful that you encountered the Lord in such a deep way at five years old. And for those people out there who think their child is too young, like that's that's not accurate. Like at the end of the day, God could reach you and touch you at a young age. I've know so many people. You know, I got saved at nineteen years old and had a encounter with God at nineteen. But I've had moments in my life at 10, 12, 15, where I remember you know, experiencing God or knowing, you know, oh, wow, God really is real, but didn't come to a place of surrender. But I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and that's my hope for them, that they would discover God on their own and develop a deep personal relationship with the Lord and that you've known God for a majority of your life. Like, to me, that's encouraging. That's a blessing and we should never, you know, Jesus said, do not, do not, you know, tell the little kids to to leave, you know, GC welcomed everybody. Yeah, and I yeah. just we need to i think we need to value that and i love churches that really value children's ministry and don't just teach them you know small bible stories and move on but they could engage with god they could experience god they could they could learn deep things even at a young age and we could facilitate that and cultivate you know a um an, an atmosphere and environment where where kids could experience god too so anyway that was just when you were sharing that part of your story that really touched me and then you know just kind of growing up you're saying that you had this understanding of God you served the lord you you followed the lord you went to bible school you were you pastored but um you said you got this encounter with God where you know it began to really teach you about the grace of the lord and this is huge for me because i went through a time in my life where i believed God loved me but i didn't believe he liked me very much and um yeah. i believed i had to perform yeah. for him and <laughs> yeah i had to perform for God you know i had to you know get my brownie points through how many hours I prayed and I had to, you know, get a notch on my belt through all these different works and yeah. things I could do jump through spiritual hoops but um and God began to reveal to me when I felt like I was the most unworthy he began to reveal to me his love for me and who I am in him and so I'd love to hear a little bit more of that cuz we're going to dive into your book Reckless Grace we're going to define grace and get into that but how did you begin to because you're pastoring so and you're teaching people about God how did your mentality shift like what did that look like for you when you began to embrace this grace message
1: well, you know, I, and I can be a am li- a living testimony of the fact that we don't get a junior Holy Spirit. That is true. Mm, and yeah. so, yeah, I highly encourage people out there who have children just to pour into your, your kids' lives. Don't wait until you feel like they've come to a place of intellectual understanding before you expose them to the things of God. Just Amen. like you wouldn't wait to, to embrace your kids until you feel like they can actually explain the word love. You wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't do that. You, you, would, you would show them what that's like before they can even say the word or even understand it. So God doesn't wait for us to to arrive at a place of intellectual understanding before he exposes us to things and and I think that's a that's a that's just part of being a really good dad. Awesome. You know, um, but the other part of it is I can totally identify Michael with that that concept that you just said about uh, I believe God loves me but he doesn't like me. I had a friend years years ago, we were um hanging out one day and somebody said something about, yeah, well I know God I God loves you and And, uh, and my friend says, yeah, well, big deal. God loves everybody (laughs) He goes, that doesn't mean that I'm special. It just means he has no taste. And at first it sounded offensive to me, but then I stopped and thought, I just got insight into the mind of a person for whom the phrase God loves you has become so trite that Mm -hmm. it's just like, so so what? That's the same way he feels about everybody. So what does that, what does that mean for me? It's like, and, um, and and I think the only way we take that cynical view is if we have the idea that okay God loves us because it's just he he has to it's his nature, but that he doesn't like me he doesn't really you know there's nothing about me that that would be likable you know from God's perspective, and so, um, I think I think maybe there was a time in my life maybe a lot of people still hold on to this because I, I do have a tendency to have these conversations, uh, with people where they they have that perspective, but there was a time in my life where I felt I felt that that sense, I would say of false humility. It's almost like uh, you wear your unholiness as a badge of honor. And I would believe in the grace of God because, you know, he saved me in spite of myself. But here yes. was the problem mm-hmm. with the entire concept is that I was defining myself completely distant and separate from him. So I lived the majority of my life and preached a lot of my messages on how to get closer to God. And I remember, you know, suddenly stumbling across all these scriptures about, you know, where Jesus says, you know, in that day you'll know I'm in the Father, you are me, and I am in you. Uh, Ephesians chapter one that says in Christ or in him over and over and over again. And I realized this is more than a figure of speech. This is an invitation to a union. There's a, there's a, there's a reconciled union here that is, and I remember a friend of mine from South Africa saying about a decade ago, said to me, said to me, I, I've just become convinced that there is no distance and separation between us and God. And <laughs> awesome. it struck me. It just, I mean, it really struck me. Like, And I'm thinking, well, I can believe that maybe for eternity, but right now, I don't perceive that. You know, philosophically, I can believe I'm saved by grace through faith and that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God, but I wouldn't necessarily have defined um, that as meaning there's no distance and separation. But when I really stopped and thought about that, i tell you what, that phrase, no distance and separation, became like a loop in my head. And for the last 10 years, I would say maybe 600 times a day, it rolls around in my head. And every time I think the phrase, no distance, separ- no separation, I, I, uh, it gets me happy. Yeah. And so it's almost like I go back to the beginning and play it again, and I play it again, and I play it again. And now it's become kind of a part of my DNA. And, and it changes everything everything about the way you you see yourself and the way you see see people around you. And um, and you know and it, it really is a uh I don't know, it, there's something about that there's something about that moment. I wouldn't say it's a singular moment in time. I would say it, it, it was sort of an assimilation over the course of a few months. But I had a friend that had asked me, he said, what do you think is the most mind melting verse in the entire Bible? And then having committed much of the scripture to memory, I would I, I would think I wouldn't have had a hard time answering that, that verse or that, that question, but I actually took a considerable amount of time to answer it. And when I finally came down to it, the verse that I could not wrap my mind around without just coming undone was John fourteen twenty. 20. And that day you will know I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you.
0: Shoot, and
1: that, wow. that absolutely still to this day is, is the most I believe the most mind melting revelation I've ever heard in the in the scriptures, and so that was that was actually the, I would say the point of time that that really drew me to an, an awareness of this, the reality of this thing that there is no distance, no separation between me and God.
0: Wow, that's that's awesome, and I think that for me, I was in Bible school and I was seeking God, and I had this performance mentality, and it was more about performance modification than internal transformation and i would encounter god here and there and i did have moments of intimacy with the lord um that really charged me and drove me but then there was times where if i wasn't you know praying enough or reading the bible enough or i didn't evangelize at walmart because i was in fear or i didn't want to bother somebody or get rejected or whatever then i would leave feeling discouraged you know disappointed in myself condemned like i wasn't Living the God, you know, the life God called me to live. He might as well just choose somebody else if I can't do a simple thing. And that was, goes constantly up and down like a roller coaster (laughs) because I didn't know where I stood with God. You know, I knew He loved me, but I, yeah, I began to get this revelation. I began to read through the Song of Songs and I began to get this revelation of God's passion for me. Things began to shift in my heart through a few encounters with God and His love when I felt like I didn't deserve His love and He poured out His love on me, or times where I sinned and did something dumb and I mean, I heard God say, I'm pleased with you. I love you. And he just lavished love on me when I felt like I deserved a slap or, or discipline. But I, you know, my, my, yeah. my, um, my, I was always focusing on hungering for God, seeking God, you know, pursuing God. And then I began to see through the book of song of songs and the revelation God was giving me that he's the one that ultimately pursues me. He's hungering for me. He's seeking after me and my, my whole mentality began to shift. And even in that I would have, you know, I would do something stupid and I would hate myself for it. And then God would give me a vision of me standing with Christ. And I would see his righteousness on me, independent of my works, my, my wrongdoings, my, you know, even my best works, like, you know, the good and bad that I've, that I've done in my life. I would just see these robes of righteousness on me and these scriptures about my identity, not identifying with Adam and, and the sinful nature, but identifying with Christ and what he has done, no matter what my feelings were saying, I could feel worthless, I could feel unrighteous, I could feel, you know, you know, disappointed in myself. But I, I learned how to stand on the word and declare the word and identify with, you know, all, like these in him scriptures that you're talking about, you know, not, not being dominated by my feelings anymore and really just living based off the word of God.
1: Right. It's, allow, it's allowing his divinity to define your humanity. Wow. Yeah. And recognizing that we're partakers of that divine nature. And, and, you know, first Corinthians chapter one and verse 30, people will go, okay, well, how do I get in Christ? Well, I mean, you can say a prayer we made up and that might introduce you to a relationship, you (laughs) know, that, that, you know, helps, helps the process. But first Corinthians chapter one and verse 30 says, by his doing, we're in Christ. And then it it lists their four things that he became for us. And all four of those things I had worked so hard in my Christian life to try to do for myself. And I realized it was the grace of God to not allow me to have any perception of attaining those by my works, because it would have made my ego just explode with pride. It would have done Mm -hmm. me no good whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I realized that God is firmly committed to the death of my ego, And it doesn't come through striving. It comes through surrender. Sure, I just find myself in a place of complete surrender to that rest of reconciled union with the Lord. And from that posture, I I do life in this costume. But, you know, I I fully, you know, agree with what Paul said when he, you know, grabbed a piece of pop literature from his own day and said, you know, in him, we live and move and have our being. And I I realized that is, that is it. That's the, that's the point of my life. That's the, the origin of my inception. That is the reason that we are even alive is, is to discover what it means to truly uh, be in him and then let in him define how we all do life, you know, in this costume. So I, I, I found myself just at a place of complete rest and that posture of rest. Um, then I become subject to allowing the grace of God to become the fuel from which I do life in ministry because I realized for, over the years, I mean, I've burned out so many different times. And I, and I had a, a beautiful brother, uh, from a little tiny town in Texas. I went to his church one day, just stumbled in as a guest and uh sweet little pastor who, who just had this thick Texas accent. And he looks at me and says, I can recognize, you know, burnt out, burnt out pastor. And I just kind of <laughs> yeah. nodded my head and says, yeah, I'm ex- i I experienced burnout. And he said something I'll never forget. He says, young man, he says, you'll only burn out when you're the fuel.
0: Mm, wow. And,
1: uh, and so when I mm. caught that no distance, no separation thing, I I said that's it. I'm going to stop being the fuel for my own for my own perception of what ministry success looks like. I've got to so rest, uh, fully be at rest in my reconciled union with you. And and the fear that I had was that it would cause me to be complacent. You know that's why I went to conferences, meetings, and all this stuff to to get the fire relit again, to rekindle the fire again. But once you discover the, the grace of that reconciled union, the fire never goes out. It yeah. never dies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, absolutely yeah, and, and you find yourself just kind of stumbling from one yes of obedience to the to the word of the Lord into the next. And yeah. uh, and that's the way that's the way we do life now. And it's it's been very blessed.
0: It's so good. When you begin to realize there's nothing I could do to make God love me more, and there's nothing I could do to yeah. make God love me less. It doesn't, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't give you an excuse to live however you want because it was a heart transformation no. that took place. It's not just something shallow right. on the surface and just a bunch of commandments I'm trying to obey, and it's not personal and intimate. No, the law of God was written on my heart. He took out my heart of stone. He gave me a heart of flesh, and he wrote his commandments upon my heart. It is woven into my DNA to obey him and to desire to obey him. He gives me the will and the power to to follow him. And so it's just this beautiful, and you know, people who haven't experienced a grace of God or revelation of the love of the Father in depth, really don't understand it, you know, and I understand their concern. You know, people throw around, you know, hyper grace or greasy grace, and they use that kind of terminology, and they don't Mm want to learn about the grace of God or go, go deep. And, you know, because they feel like, you know, you're just preaching forgiveness of sin. You're not preaching freedom from sin, but that's not true at all. When you really begin to grasp freedom of sin, and when you really begin to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ and, that he died so we can live and that he took the curse so we can be curse free. And he, you know, took our sickness yes. so we could be whole. And, you know, he became sin for us that we could be the righteousness of God in Christ. It wasn't a partial work. It was a finished work. He didn't just die to forgive our sins, but to set us free from sin like this is, but this is a real concern for a lot of people. And there's a lot of books out there that talk about it. And a lot of preachers that, you know, go against the grace message. And I would like to bring some definition. You wrote a book called reckless grace, which are really diving into a lot of the stories you're sharing and, and, and truths you're sharing come from this book. But how can we truly define the grace message, and maybe alleviate some concern from people who think we're just emphasizing one aspect of the gospel?
1: Well, you know, first off, defining grace is that grace is first and foremost it's a person. It's not a concept, idea, philosophy, a feeling, or or any of that. It's 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 purely a person. It's Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is is grace, it's full of grace and truth. Grace is who He is. Mercy is what He gives. And the grace of God, the 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 uh, justifying resurrection power of Jesus Christ actually restores the standard, baptizes us in innocence, redefines our identity. Uh, we, we find ourselves uh, completely um, at, at, at a, a place of just, I would say, surrender. Uh, it's just a surrender to, uh, to, to who He is, yeah. to be the defining point of everything that we are about. So I, I had somebody to say, "I this might seem like a controversial statement." Say to me, Do "You preach grace, greasy," and I went, "You know, I it, we use these English terms, greasy grace, only because <laughs> you know, there's a G at the beginning of each word makes it sound super clever if we can make it rhyme or have some alliteration to it or whatever." But there's a bit of an insult to it because you know, God's given us the oil of joy for gladness. Yeah, there's an oil to the anointing, and oil is very greasy. And and so I said to this guy in the back of my mind, I said, "Actually, um." I don't take the oil out of it at all. I feel like without the oil, there is no message. Without the oil, there's no anointing. So yes, and he goes, good, because if you don't preach it it's you're not preaching it right. And I was <laughs> like, okay, it's not an excuse to sin. So here's the thing. Grace is not a, um, a defensive excuse to walk in sin. It's an offensive empowerment to walk in righteousness. Yes, And, and that's exactly what Jesus provides. Now, here's the thing about the grace of God, and I think this is part of the thing that I think, think people have, a, have an issue with. But, you know, Paul said, and he said it two different ways. He said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but not all things edify. But then he adds this caveat at the end. He says, but I will not be mastered by any of it. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so when Paul, what Paul reveals there is that God is giving a tremendous allowance to humanity. That doesn't mean he gives an approval or a blessing to everything we do, but I think we could, could all pretty well agree. I mean, if somebody wants to, and I know people who've done this, I mean, in my own life, I can say as a young man, that this was kind of a methodology for trying to get God's attention. And that is, let me go out and do something that I know he doesn't like. And then maybe he'll send an angel and actually show up. I don't think a lot of people actually think those thoughts consciously, but maybe just to prove and to test whether or not God is actually real or their faith is actually true, they go out and try to like push the limits of things and then get a little bit disillusioned when an angel doesn't show up or God doesn't give them an audible voice or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is because God has given us a tremendous season of personal responsibility where you actually can do whatever you want, but just because you can do what you want doesn't mean it should be done. And, and that's a, an important thing to understand. What Paul is saying here is God's not going to stop you if you do some bad stuff. It doesn't mean he blesses it, it doesn't mean he approves it, but if you're trying to like get his attention by the wrongs that you do, you are you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here. Mm-hmm. It's a bad methodology and it's gonna end very, very poorly for you. And and so he says, All things are lawful. In other words, God's not gonna stop me no matter what I try to do, or not all things are permissible. In other words, God has given me permission to either accept or reject him. He did not take away my ability to say no on the cross. That's part of this this freedom that he has a value for that he's given me, because only in the context of choice can I actually experience love, and that's what he wants to pour out. So, so let's say, for example, that I look at that and I say, okay, all things are permissible, all things are lawful. Wow, that means I can do anything. No, no, wisdom, wisdom and surrender to the Holy Spirit teaches me what is to be done and what is not to be done, what is allowed for me personally as a child of God surrendered to his voice, and what is not allowed. And there are some things that under grace, the Holy Spirit has said, no, Bill, you don't. I don't touch that. Don't do that. And I look over at another believer and I say, well, how come they have the freedom to do what you're restricting me to do? And this is what I feel like the Lord says to me. My relationship with you is my relationship with you. My relationship with them is with them. And their journey is different than yours. But I began a good work in you. I want to be faithful to complete it. And I know what it's going to take to complete the work that I began in you. So if they feel the freedom to do something, and you don't, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to watch their freedom, or are you going to listen to my voice? Now, if I listen to his voice and I recognize they're on a journey, I'm not going to condemn them for what the Lord doesn't allow me to do. Yeah. But I begin to recognize mm-hmm. that, that their journey is their journey, all right? And sure. in the context of relationship, maybe iron begins to sharpen iron, and we can actually cause each other to shine a little bit more. But it won't be from a place of condemnation. And I'm certainly not going to take things God-like restricts in my life because, because of what he's telling me I, I don't do right now, and then and put that as a religious ritual upon everybody else, right? So that's part of the thing of the grace of God is learning to live listening to the voice of wisdom in, in, in each moment. And, and when Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by any of this stuff, basically the idea is is I've come out of the chains of bondage that sin formally brought me into. Why would I allow the freedom of my choice to cause me to walk back into a place where I shackle myself again to those things? And, uh, uh, and so, you know, it, it, it kind of neutralizes the whole hyper grace, I'm scared, you know, that you're preaching <laughs> that you can sin argument.
0: Sure. Because
1: it's, it's a freedom from, it's abs- God's high value is for freedom. He didn't come to make us religious, he came to make us free. That is right. And freedom. so I, I feel like part of this message is, is teaching people how to manage the freedom that they have been given by submitting to surrender to the voice of God, who is wisdom and gives revelation on how to walk free.
0: So yeah, hopefully no. that helps. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. And I just think in general in my journey, and I and I, I, see, I see this in the Bible as well, in what Jesus spoke and what the Apostle Paul taught, but as I began to embrace the grace of God for myself in my life, um, and really began to receive God's grace and apply it to my life, I began to be gracious with others, and I began to extend that grace to others as well. When I was like a roller coaster, you know, going from mountain, the valley, mountain, the valley, you know, based on my performance, and I would look around at all the different believers in Bible school or in the mission field or my church or whatever I was doing, and they weren't as on fire. They were living in sin or they weren't doing everything according to the way that I thought they should do it based on their confession of, of faith in Christ. I was I was critical of them. I would harshly judge them in my mind. I wouldn't voice it. But in my mind, I would think like that guy, you know, isn't really serving the Lord like he's supposed to, or that person doesn't love God. That guy's in sin. I was always, you know, had this critical mentality towards other people that weren't, you know, obviously exuberant in their faith um, and and, in their pursuit of God. But when I began to stop critiquing myself and judging myself and being so sin focused and sin conscious and sin aware, and I became more, Christ conscious and finished work conscious and, you know, really just focusing on what he did for me and not what I can do for him. When that began to, you know, when my mind began to change and shift and I was more gracious with myself and receiving God's grace, I I began to see other people through a different lens, through the eyes of love, through the lens of the gospel. And I began to see hurting people, not sinful people, but hurting people. And yes, you know, I'm not saying sin isn't sin, but at the same time, just calling sin out isn't the isn't the solution. The gospel is the solution. And it just began to change how I extended it to others.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think you've touched on a really important thing. And to to sever us from a sin consciousness is a really big deal. Mm -hmm. I I genuinely believe um, if we really believe what Christ did on the cross, dealt with the sin issue once and for all, and then we look around at the world around us, we have to come to the conclusion that the big problem in the world right now isn't a sin problem. It's an identity problem.
0: Oh, that's good. When
1: I see mm-hmm. people choosing sin, when I see people choosing a life of sin or a lifestyle of sin, I begin to realize that the core issue here is, is that they don't know who they are, and they yeah. don't know what they have access to in God. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking at a, an unsurrendered heart But typically, I believe that surrender comes from a fresh revelation of the truth of who we are. Here's one of the ways I like to explain it, and that is that God told Jeremiah, I knew you before I formed you, which is amazing when you stop and think about that. If you wrap your mind around the idea that God knew you before you even knew you could be known, then the question comes out, and this is what I want to know, God, what did you know? Because what he has known about you and I from before the foundation of the world and every person listening to this podcast right now, what he knows about us is who we truly are. And so I, I become aware when, when, that, that, when that fact suddenly grabs me and grips my heart, I become aware that I have one quest in this life, just one, and that is to find out What the Father has always known about me, what he has believed about me from before the foundation of the world, and then Mm -hmm. surrender to agree with that. Every time I begin to discover something that he has believed about me that, that comes up against a lie that I believed about myself, then I have a choice of do I let his truth replace that lie or do I hold on to this false identity? And the more we hold on to a false identity, then we return to that false identity as a reference point for how to do life. So this is a phrase I always like to say, and, um, and, and it simply goes, people will say, as Christians, they'll say, uh, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I would say that that is, and no offense to anybody who said that, because I'm right there with you, but I can tell you I said it from a position of a false humility that was egoic in nature, because it really boosted my own ego in order to be able to say, I'm a sinner saved by grace, you know. In other words, sinner is my identity, and God saved me in spite of myself, and Mm -hmm. thanks for that. But uh, the problem with that is that you'll return to the identity of being a sinner as a reference point for how to do life, even though you believe you're saved by grace which means you'll live your entire life in this yo-yo of sin, repentance, sinning and repentance. Um, I I think I heard a speaker say one time, it's called sinning by faith, because faith uh, faith is an exercising belief. And when you believe that you are something that you are actually not, you will return to that false identity, when, when it comes to making decisions or whatever, you, you won't lean on the surrender of allowing the grace of Christ to empower you toward righteousness, which is yeah. the truth of your mm-hmm. identity. That's good. And so, you know, Jesus said things like, you know, he said, be perfect for your heavenly father is perfect. Be holy for your father is holy. And I, I used to look at that and I would think, okay, so I got to try to become perfect and I got to try to become holy. And, and then I started looking up the words and I realized it wasn't become. There's no process to this. It was a surrender to be. It was, it was a prophetic declaration of my present identity from heaven's perspective. You're <laughs> so holy good. and you're perfect. Why? Yes. Because your dad is. Yeah, Dad is, and so you are. Because you've been given a divine blood transfusion in Christ. So now, I, I, I'm, I'm a new creation. Old uh, things passed away and all things become new. Now, I have to surrender to let the Holy Spirit to teach me how to become new. It's one of the things that, one of the questions I get a lot, Michael, is, especially I talk, I talk so much about the image and likeness of God. that We're made in the image and likeness of God. So people ask the question, what's the difference between the image and likeness of God? And This is how I'd answer that. And it kind of helps with the last thing I mentioned. The image of God is the attributes of God. Aspects of his, his uh, nature, his attributes or whatever. That That's like the fingerprint of God on every single human being that has been, ever will be. They bear the image of God. There's something about that that we are made in His image. But we don't know how to display the likeness, which is the representation of those attributes in a way that reflects his true, the truth of His nature. We don't know how to display the likeness of that image without surrender to the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. And I think, yeah. of course, then Jesus becomes our model of how to walk out the image of God and the likeness, that place of surrender. So Jesus says things like, i only say what I hear the Father say and do what I see the Father do. So he is completely surrendered in his word and in his deed to fully put the likeness of the Father on display. And I think that's what You know, people say, "What's the benefit of the Holy Spirit? Gifts and prophecy and tongues and all the things that come with it." Yes, but ultimately, there's the fruits of the Spirit that actually put the very nature of the Father on display. And I say, I look around right now at at, uh, social media, and I look around at the news, and I even listen to to Christians who are who have been um, completely uh, under pressure for the last months of everything this world's been going through, and I'm realizing many of us are forgotten what the fruits of the Spirit actually are. And we're putting on display some other produce from yeah. some mm-hmm. other Spirit. Oh, yeah. um, and, and so I, re- I realize we, uh, we, have to, we have to come back to allowing the grace of God to define how we do life, because even though we may bear the image of God and may have the message right, the likeness is getting hidden underneath of all of our, our, uh, our rage and our, our outrage, I would say. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. I think this is um, so essential talking about the nature of God and being uh, created in his image and in his likeness. For me, you know, there were some sins in my life as a new believer that were very hard to overcome and they were debilitating. And I always wrestled and I was always beating myself up. But I wanted to be free so bad, but I didn't know how to access that freedom. And I got a, when I was in Mozambique serving with Heidi Baker's ministry, I had this vision of myself on the cross and it almost it seemed blasphemous to me and i had this uh, vision mm-hmm. of myself on the cross and the lord said that it was it was you who died with me and your greed your greed your selfishness your lust your doubt your religion all of that died with me on the cross and in that encounter i literally saw every aspect of myself that i hated that i deemed sinful i saw it dying on the cross with christ and I became, and after that encounter, it was so transformative because I stopped trying to fight my sin and I just started focusing on the Lord and what he did for me. And if you, let's say you have a smoking addiction, you're not going to defeat it by saying, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke, don't smoke all day. That's just going to make you want to smoke more because you're so focused on it. But when when your thought process is, no, I'm free. It is for freedom that he has set me free whom the sun sets free is free. Indeed, I am not an addict. I am, you know, and you and you declare truth and you declare the word of God. I used to think that the Lord is in heaven, scared that I was going to sin. I made big. I made sin so much bigger than God in my brain. And I was so sin conscious all the time. And I identified with my sin. I'm an addict. I have a smoking problem. I have a lust problem. I have this problem or that problem. And when I began to realize that that encounter really embedded in me, this revelation that transformed or renewed my mind, that no, I'm not those things. I identify with Christ. I am a partaker of the divine nature. The nature of Christ lives inside of me, not the nature of sin. I'm not an Adam. I am in Christ. And when I began to realize that anytime a thought would cross my mind that wasn't like God, I wouldn't beat myself up. I didn't make it a big deal. I would just balance my thoughts and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You have set me free. I am holy. Those things died on the cross. And that was, that was my self-talk. It began to be transformed based on the revelation of the gospel. And so this is, the grace of God did not, It bore positive fruit in my life and it enabled me to walk free from things I wanted to walk free from when I was trying to do it on my own power and abilities. And so this is essential to my life. It's my my core message. It's what I'm all about. That's why I love meeting um, men and women from around the world like yourself who are heralding this message, writing about this, traveling and preaching this message because this is the solution to know who we are in Christ, to know what Christ has done for us, a total work, a finished work, nothing left undone, nothing, no, no loose ends. He set us free in every way. And so it's so awesome.
1: Yeah. i, I give you an even more blasphemous thought. I loved your thought about being on, on the cross because Galatians two twenty bears, bears that out. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's an even, here's an even more blasphemous thought and that is picture <laughs> yourself on the throne with God in the throne room.
0: Oh, so on good.
1: the throne with him in heaven. And and if I, you know, if I ask, I've asked churches to picture that and and I have people looking at me like, I can't do that. You know, I don't even long enough. I don't even know if I'm, if God's going to allow me, you know, it's like I've said the prayer like a thousand times, but I I still don't know because I still have issues. And, And then I take them to Revelation chapter three and verse 21, where Jesus says to him who overcomes, I will grant you to sit with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So we realize from Jesus' perspective our our position within the throne room is not before the throne or around the throne. it's actually in him on the throne, which isn't a new doctrine. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians said so "We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. He wasn't That's joking. Right. it was real. it's not a metaphor it's an, it's an actuality it's a, it's a truth. So and so uh, you know people say, well Well, that overcome, that's the overcome ones, the overcomers, they're they're the super special ones, the ones maybe they get martyred or maybe served in full-time vocational ministry. And, you know, Revelation goes on to actually tell us the overcome by the blood of the Lamb of the word of our testimony. Well, the blood of the Lamb is what Christ did. The word of our testimony is just us talking about what He did. That's right. So the finished work of the cross, what Christ did, actually empowers us to all be overcomers because of the fact that He overcame. The only reason we wouldn't be overcomers is if he didn't overcome. Hmm. But what he did, he did once for all. Therefore, all of us are qualified to actually be overcomers. So if any person's, you know, listening to this and they think, well, I don't belong on the throne. Yeah, you do, actually. And and this is according to Jesus. And if a person has a problem with that, they can take it up with Jesus because (laughs) that's what he said in Revelation 3.21. I would say that's the second most mind-melting verse in the whole Bible (laughs) because— I, can't, I think a lot of people have a hard time picturing their own worthiness to even be, be able to say, okay, I'm 100% certain I'm going to spend eternity with Christ. Well, it's not just with. <laughs> it's in. That no distance, no separation thing, it continues into eternity. And, yeah. uh, and I don't fully know how that works out oh, within sure. the context of, of the way we know this physical world, but I recognize, I recognize what it does to my spirit when I realize that I am that secure in, in Christ. Uh, it, it puts me in a position of living my life from a posture of gratitude yeah. and from an overflow of love. Yeah. And uh, oh man, I can't, I can't even tell you. It, it, you know, whenever I get up and talk about this and the Father's heart towards us and the fact that we're both born into this, this family and we're adopted into it. So how much more in can we be? You know, I watch people's, people's eyes just begin to light up and you begin to see, you begin to see a wide variety of responses. People will get, uh, get super happy. Uh, sometimes they get frustrated because they, they feel like they've wasted time not knowing this before. Yeah, And, and that's not the, you know, I, I feel like, I feel like letting him know, listen, you've got an eternity to figure this thing out. You haven't wasted a single moment. He has the ability to redeem every single moment we think we've lost or, or wasted or whatever pain or whatever we felt. He can redeem it all for he's the Lord of time. Mm. And so, uh, you know, there, there's there's nothing that we feel like we've wasted. I believe that in Christ will not ultimately be restored to us. There's something about the power of that that salvation and that resurrection power that just uh, it, it gives us a hope beyond beyond language's ability to express.
0: Oh, that's so good. And I just want to even just wet people's whistle a little bit because I know, you know, we could talk about this for so long. I'd love to have you on again just so we get unpacked more and just <laughs> dive into this more because there's just so much. And I love talking about this. Um, and so I just love how you brought up that we are co-seated with Christ because we didn't just, you know, die with Christ. Yes, we did. We died with Christ. That's amazing. We were co-buried with Christ. We're co-resurrected and co-seated, but we're also co-heirs with Christ. We will rule with Him. Like these are powerful revelations. Like you said, those who overcome will sit on the throne with the Lord. You know, and there, you know, the Bible even says that we will judge angels. Believers will will judge angels. The Apostle Paul said that we are co-heirs and we will rule with Christ. There's just so many things to explore, and the fact that people have a hard time visualizing these things or believing these things or really grasping them wholeheartedly. Um, is, is proof that we are more sin conscious than gospel centered and, and Christ conscious in our, in our belief of the gospel, because, and honestly, if we're to truly embrace, um, the beauty of all that Jesus did for us, it's not going to produce pride or cause us to be puffed up because at the end of the day, we could do nothing apart from him and we didn't produce it. We are focusing on him and what he's done. And there's nothing I could yeah. brag about at all. I am relinquishing that and so it just produces like you said a gratitude and a humility and to say wow I I can't strive for this I can't earn this I can't perform my way into his good graces or into righteousness I can't make myself suitable enough to rule and reign with him in the age to come this is this is all the grace gifts from God and I am nothing without him and my righteousness is filthy rags and I, you know, because of him, I am who I am, like the Apostle Paul said, you know, and so this is so beautiful. And I I love how you kind of ended off what you were saying in terms of, hey, if you just grasp this message and you're just starting to receive it, you know, don't worry about the time you wasted or don't, because God is a redeemer and he redeems everything. And I would kind of close out this podcast if you want to pray or you feel something in your heart and exhortation, but... I just believe that there's people saying, number one, I'm hungry. I want to know more. I want to learn more about this. This was life-giving. This was energizing. I've been thinking so wrong for so long. And then there's other people that, you know, they're kind of just, they're broken and they don't know how to receive the grace of God and they just don't know what to do to get to that next level. And so however you feel led to pray or to minister, just be totally free. Um, Yeah. And so...
1: Well, you know, right now I feel like God is reawakening a fresh responsibility in my heart. Um, as part of, part of the book, Reckless Grace, that, that uh, Britt and I wrote was, uh, it came out of a, a verse in John chapter 20 and verse 23, right after the resurrection where Jesus breathes on the disciples, says, receive the Holy Spirit as the Father, sent me and I send you. And then he says this very strange phrase that I realized for years that I didn't believe. Even after I came to a revelation of the grace of God for me, I still didn't let that apply to others. And um, and so when I looked at this verse, it, it really challenged me. When I really looked at it, and before, I just glossed over it. I just didn't understand it. And it, it simply says, whoever sins, you forgive. This is Jesus talking. Whoever sins, you forgive, they're forgiven. And whoever sins, you retain, they are retained. And I felt like the Lord said to me one day, you, you can receive my grace for you, but what does that mean for how you treat other people? And um And what would change about the way you do life if you genuinely believed that verse was true? Like, if I believe that the grace I give away actually mattered, and I never become the source of grace, and I don't ever claim that's the case. We never become the source of grace. He's always the source. Yes. But I, I began to realize that God was leaving us with a responsibility to represent the grace that he had given to us to this world. It's, it's the story of the, the ruler who has a servant that's indebted to him, and he says to him, You know, uh, he says, have patience with me, I'm going to pay you everything. Uh, and, the, and the ruler says, You know what? You're forgiven the entire debt. And then that young servant goes out, and he grabs a hold of another servant, fellow servant, who doesn't know him hardly anything throws him in prison, torments him. And, all. And, and, and you begin to see, oh my goodness, this is what Jesus is seeing when he looks at humanity is he, he has released us from an eternal debt on the cross. And the mm-hmm. challenge now it's is okay. to the degree that you see you've been transformed by or given freely my grace, now turn around and freely give it away. And I look at the way that the world is and the way that even within the church people are treating one another and i realize we don't realize what we've been given. Yeah. We don't mm-hmm. fully understand what we've been given. Sure. And and so and i don't say that as any point of condemnation or anything i'm saying that right now i think right now there's a there is a challenge that i'm feeling in my spirit so strongly and that is that the church has got to come to a revelation, a fresh revelation of the grace of god. That what we have freely received, not so that we can just live in it, but that we can give it away freely. That's right. And represent it freely. That means that, that there's people out there that have been, um, they're, they're in bondage, they're in chains, and they're in chains maybe because of what they've done. They're in chains because what somebody else has done, it's somebody else's offense. And I would say to you, you may feel that sense of going, yeah, I'm in bondage, I'm in chains, I have unforgiveness in my heart, or I have condemnation I'm, I'm facing. Well, if there's anybody out there that's feeling either one of those things, I just take you to Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel, proclaiming freedom and liberty. And he mentions two groups of people, to captives and prisoners. And captives are in chains because of somebody else's choice. It wasn't their fault, but now they're in bondage. Prisoners, they're in chains, usually it's their fault. In other words, they did the crime, now they got to do the time. Mm -hmm. And Jesus grabs both groups of people and he says, look, I'm going to put, just put this out there for you guys. I see, my, I see my kids in chains. Some of them are there because of their own choice. Some of them are there because of the choice of somebody else. Here's my words all of you. Freedom. Now His justice system is way different than ours. And his grace, his level of grace is offensive. And that's, that's the thing that really makes it reckless. He puts it out there with without any caveat. He just says, Look, I don't care how you got in chains, I want you free. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's he wants us all to walk in freedom. And a person who is in chains because of I'll speak to those who facing right now a sense of unforgiveness because something's been done to you and, and it was unfair and it was unjust. Here's something you need to know, and that is forgiveness frees the forgiver. What we give away and what we release in grace manifests in our own life and i don't have time to go into all that today but i believe it can have an effect upon uh, upon our physical bodies i believe it can have an effect upon the physical environment around us um i I believe that when we choose to align with grace as opposed to to judgment we come into agreement with the blood of christ that speaks a better word and there's something about that that can have an effect on this earth um that that's that goes deeper than we can even begin to imagine. Matter of fact, I'll say, I look around at the world around us and, and, and turmoil and all the junk that's going on, you know, hurricanes and earthquakes and fires and all this kind of crazy stuff. And people would say, well, it's the judgment of God upon us, you know, because of our sin. I would say, no, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that's the case. I think it is judgment, but I have a feeling it might be us. I look at the story of Cain and Abel, and when Abel, who's righteous and he's murdered, for doing righteous a righteous act he's murdered and his blood goes into the ground and god says as a result of that he says to Cain because of what what's happened here the ground won't work for you in other words the physical environment is actually responding to the curse of judgment that a righteous man released in his death it's a, it's an amazingly mind melting verse but then you go to hebrews 12 it talks about the blood of Jesus, and it says it speaks better than the blood of Abel. Well, I don't know why they're contrasted. They're so much alike. They were both innocent. They were both murdered, both killed by people that should have loved them. But when it says the blood of Christ speaks a better word, here's what I picture, and that is Abel's blood released into the ground. It released a generational curse that actually followed Cain and his family line all the days of his life to the point where the ground literally responded by cursing the guilty because of uh, an offense of a righteous man mm. that's how powerful our judgments are even when they feel justified is that the environment actually responds to our judgment i don't know i'm going into this but this is for somebody out there yeah mm-hmm. but when jesus is hanging on the cross and he spills his blood into this earth instead of releasing a generational curse over humanity it released a generational grace it goes all the way back to the offense of cain and abel releases all the way down to our family lines today. There's a generational grace in the blood of Christ that actually the the earth responded to. And Romans says that this world, this earth, the environment is actually groaning as if in pain. And what's it waiting for? A revelation of the children of God to get a clue as to who they are. And, And children, reflect the nature, the character, the image, and the likeness of their father. Yeah, And I think mm-hmm. when Jesus told us, guys, you, you got the freedom to give away my grace or not, he was basically saying, you get to, you get to put on display the degree to which you believe that my grace has been poured out to you. And I think if we would all catch that, then we would start walking in such a radical grace that we could actually perhaps some of the some of the answer to some of the even the environmental issues that people are trying to fix through natural means, I believe have the spiritual root, and uh, uh, that's just one of the things that I think we could sure. deal with if yeah. we purposely, intentionally find ourselves in freedom to release grace. And so I just want to speak over every person that's feeling a sense like you have got a list of people that you haven't forgiven, can't forgive, feel justified in holding unforgiveness against, and I just want to just speak the grace of God over you. That captives will go free, and I just say freedom over you today, that every offense, that every person that's ever caused you pain, every person that's ever caused you hurt, that you come to a fresh revelation that God knew them from before the foundation of the world, and they're walking out of line, out of alignment with what he knows. So are you going to partner with that false identity, or are you going to partner with that true identity and say, God, show me who they really are? (laughs) Begin to pray into that fresh revelation that God would surround them with voices of influence that would actually bring to the surface the truth of who God says they are. And those who are feeling like a sense of condemnation, being prisoners of their own choices and suffering under the crushing weight of self-inflicted condemnation, to you today I declare freedom and I say the Father himself loves you and he wants you free. And today, this isn't just a transactional moment. This is a transformational moment where you move from darkness to light, where you let go of all the lies and the labels that life has placed upon you, and you just rest in being a child of a good father. And once you become aware that you're in Christ, then that righteousness begin to define and redefine your entire life. You know, and God will change the hearts of people around you who've who've chosen to walk in unforgiveness towards you as they begin to see the light of Christ begin to shine out through you. And yeah. it won't be in your own strength. It'll be because you're resting Amen. in his grace. Yeah. And so Lord, I just thank you for your grace today over every person that's listening to this podcast. God, I just speak grace, grace, mm-hmm. grace over them. God, that fresh revelation, that there's no distance and no separation. And Lord, I just, I've asked right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would do a quick work to soften every heart that's listening today, that we would just surrender surrender to the rest of reconciled union in man, your grace. Thank man. you, Jesus. So good. Thank, you, Thank you, Jesus. you, Jesus, for your grace.
0: Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much for just pouring out just freely what the Lord has given you. You are giving away what the Lord has given you. So that is awesome. And how do people, you know, they're, they're hungry for more. They, they want to learn more about this. I know you've got books available. I know you have resources available. How do people tap in and, and grab a hold of that if they want to learn more?
1: You know, we have a lot of resources at the, at the websites, BillVanderbush.com. uh, Highly encourage people to jump on that. If you want to get regular messages, not just from myself, just short video clips, not just from myself, but from close friends uh, who are part of our local community who are speaking this out on a, on a daily basis, uploading a few videos just every single day, just words of encouragement, grace, reconciled union. Um, you go to Facebook and uh, look for Reformation 1420. Reformation 1420 which stands from John 14:20. So look for Reformation 1420 and uh, jump on that group, and that's just hundreds of people who are who are just daily feasting on just nuggets from uh, from the grace of God. <laughs> and then uh, I w- I would say if a person goes to the website, goes to BillVanDerBush.com, they want to download something. There's a there's a 24 hour long teaching. It's uh, 24 messages all on identity comes up, up to 24 hours and uh, it's both video and audio. And, um, and that's called project 24. And that's out there on the website. And then the other, project I'm really excited about is through this whole pandemic, I've recorded a 10 hour long series on the book of revelation from a new covenant perspective. So good. And, uh, if revelation has ever scared you, it, you know, listen to this series, it might actually just make it your favorite book in the Bible. <laughs> it really is an incredible, <laughs> oh, incredible awesome. piece of work. So
0: well, I highly recommend so, people to tap uh, yeah. into that. People yeah, should definitely, yeah. so those tap are into available.
1: That. There's all kinds of stuff out there.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I highly recommend go to BillVanderbush.com, tap into those resources. Um, Tons of stuff available right there. So thank you so much, Bill, for joining me today on the podcast. It was a blessing. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Michael. I appreciate it. It's been an honor
0: so good. For those who are listening, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It'll help us get it out to more people so they can be challenged, inspired, and blessed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love you guys. Look forward to speaking with you next time on Awaken Podcast.